0: Well, good morning, everybody. Here we go. Um, First of all, your worship team is off the hook. And you have a a lead pastor who plays bass guitar. So way back in the day, there's this band called Jet Circus, and there's this bass line that said, God loves bass guitar. So I was thinking about that when you are up there. And Nathan, thank you for allowing me to be up here and to speak to your church and to spend some time with you guys. Um, I'm going to spend about two or three minutes just introduce a little bit about myself so you have at least an idea who's talking to you. My name is Keith Strasburger. Um, I'm the lead pastor at Parkview Baptist Church in Lexington, Nebraska. My wife, Christine, is here. And I'm just going to give you a quick, just a, a, like a five-minute, maybe less story. I grew, up, I grew up weird. I mean, there's just all sorts of things going on. I was in and out of different homes growing up. And a good part of my life, my family, my family of origin is from the Sandhills of Nebraska, just south of Gordon, between Gordon and Ellsworth. So r- part of our property in Sheridan County, another part about the other third's in in, in Cherry County. And uh, so living with different families, and I, I was up in the White Clay, Nebraska area for a good part of my life, a little church up there, and I grew up knowing about Jesus. I heard the Bible stories. I actually believed with all my heart as a little boy. But as I got older and just, and again, this is my junk. I'm not making an indictment against the church or anything. As I grew older, about when I was 14 years old, I made a vow that I'd never be a Christian. Just like, no, I'm out. If this is what it is, I'm going to feel guilty and not feel guilty about it because this is too darn hard and everything I'm seeing doesn't measure up. So I just made that vow and I went the opposite way for a few years. When I was 19, um, I was working at a bar up in Jumpin' Eagle Inn in White Clay, Nebraska, and I was 19 years old, and I had just finished high school with my GED, and I was living kind of in a little dirty basement on the south side of Rushville, Nebraska, on Main Street. And uh, at about two o'clock in the morning, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I was by myself. He made Himself very real to me. I tapped out. I, I confessed Jesus, Lord, and I said, "If You will save me, I will follow You for the rest of my life." I had no idea what I was saying, other than I I was in a bind. And I cried out to Jesus, confess Him as my Lord and Savior. I woke up the next morning, literally the sky was bluer. It was May 21st, 1988. The sky was bluer, the grass greener, the birds sounded nice. And from that time on, I have followed Jesus with all my heart imperfectly. <laughs> Just like the rest of you. Nobody does it perfect. And, and it had been the ups and downs, and the failures, and the recoveries, and the start overs, and the doubts, and blah. I go on and on. And as I followed. I, I, was, uh, I was obsessed with God's word. I couldn't get enough of it. And my grandma lived in the Sandhills, and I would call her from Rushville. I'd get back from the bar that I worked at, and, and we would talk from like, oh, one, one in the morning to three in the morning, about three times a week. And she would just share with me God's word. I learned the, what the Pentateuch was. I learned the major, minor prophets. I learned the, the, the poem books. I learned what the epistles were, the gospels. My grandma's sharp gal. And she would just walk me through this stuff, and here's what I can tell you, as I followed Jesus, I cared about his word, and I knew this much, I needed to be good. I worked really hard at being good, and I was really bad at it. And I joined the military, I met my wife, Christine, at a Bible study in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri, she'd been a Christian for about two days, I'd been a Christian for less than a year, and uh, we were both kind of the same, we were just wanted to follow Jesus, and we were very ignorant, but we were very motivated. And as life goes on, getting married, I got hurt really bad in the first golf thing and spent a lot of time in the hospital. There's recovery. There's all that sort of stuff. Christy and I had kids. Uh, she went to Moody Bible Institute. I wasn't cut out for school. I tried. I'm like, you go and I'll work. And I was the, kind of the hero because most wives are putting their husbands to school. I was actually kind enough to let her go first. And that's what everybody thought. And I never went back, right? It's just, I love to audit the classes, but those papers and all that stuff. Anyway, through all this, I became pretty jaded with the church. And it's, and by the way, those of you that are, it's very easy to find faults in Jesus' church. Doesn't take any effort. Criticism, criticism and uh, judgmentalism and finding fault is so easy. It takes zero creativity and no talent. Okay, got that out of the way. Well, fast forward, uh, I'm working for a company called Wyoming Technical Institute. And uh, out of Laramie, Wyoming, I got, I got voc rehab. I'm not a good mechanic, but I could sell the school because I loved it. And we lived in Callaway, Nebraska for a little while. <clears throat> the company wanted me to move anywhere in the United States but not in Laramie or Callaway. So I moved, and I moved to Northern Idaho, way up north in that skinny part in the panhandle. Here's the reason why. I wanted to live somewhere where there are no people. I didn't like people. No humidity. What am I doing back here, right? No humidity and good gun laws. That was our criteria. So moved to Northern Idaho. There's a lot of people. And Christy finds this church and we go to this church called Real Life Ministries. And so I remember we first pulled up there I saw the parking lot, and I'm not exaggerating. There's got to be at least 800 cars. I'm like, okay, we're not going in there. That's one of those mega church things. And keep in mind, Post Falls, Idaho is a town of about 30,000 people, maybe. This is back in 2003. The boys wanted to go in. I had two little boys. So we go in, put the kids in kids' church. Christy and I go in, and I see all the people in the lobby hugging. I'm not a hugger. I am now. I wasn't then. I didn't want anybody touching me, and I didn't want anybody talking to me. So as we go in, we sit in the back on the corner so I can get out as fast as we got in. And uh, so we do a typical service, song, stand-up, all that. And they, in that particular service, they did 14 baptisms. I'm like, well, it's not Easter, it's July, by the way. I go, this is super interesting. And there were all sorts of people doing the baptisms. Home group leaders, sons baptizing their dads, and I'm going... And then they did communion. I go, well, it must be the communion day of the month, a month part, part of the month. Then after that, all that there is for a pulpit is something like this. And there's probably about 1,000, 1,200 people. It's full. And Jim Putman used to be my lead pastor. I was there on staff for 15 years. He walks up, and here's what he says. I got it embedded in my head. He goes, you guys are freaks. He said, it's hot in here. Our air conditioner is already broken. It was the second service in their new ginormous building. There was no pavement, so it was all dirty. And he says, "You're dirty, you're hot." You I to hear this. He said, "But you don't come to church for your comfort. You're not called to go to church, you're called to be the church." Now, I had never heard that before. But when he said that, I started crying. And I wasn't a cry- I cry pretty easy now. I'm pretty soft. <laughs> but then I wasn't. And I was like, "What is going on?" So I heard this. Then he said this. He goes, "And the reason it's so full in here is you guys are disciples." and disciple makers everywhere you go, your disciples at home, at work, stand in the grocery store line. And you're inviting people into your homes, into your lives, and into your church. And he said this, and he said, if you're sitting out there right now, and you're not in the game, if you're not doing that, go find another church, we need the room. And I was like, okay, he's daring me to leave, which appealed to me. And I didn't know if I 100% agreed or not. I didn't know. What I did know is whatever they believed, they meant it. And they didn't need me there. But if I was going to be there, there was a mission and there was a direction. Here's the other thing I didn't know. I did not know, after 19 years of following Jesus, after tons of time in Scripture, that I was a disciple of Jesus. I thought the disciples were the guys in the Bible. Once I learned that I was a disciple of Jesus Christ and I could be... And make disciples, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And so Christy and I were there the next week. We were never invited into a home group. We were told this is the group we're going to be in. And, and then that was Chris and Becky Wagner. Next thing I know, they ask if Christy and I would host a home. I'm like, we can do that. Then will you lead a group? I'm like, I won't do that. And they go, yeah, but we need you to so you can do it anyway. And I was terrible at it. Guys, I I told this to Parkview. Nobody believes me. They're starting to come along. Well, they're all farmers and ranchers, right? I grew up the same way. Hey, you guys ever heard this saying, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right the first time? Well, here's what I believe. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. (laughs) I'm going to say it again. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Nobody, nobody starts out doing anything well. That's why we practice. We practice. And that's why we get in the game. And the only way to get good at something is to be poor at something and be willing to at least try. And so that was my story, being a home group leader. I wasn't good at it. I had people upset with me. Uh, people wanted me not to lead their group, want, not wanting me in the house, all that stuff. I'm not kidding. That was 21 years ago. <laughs> Eventually, I got hired on staff at Real Life Ministries, this big giant church, to be a, a men's pastor. I'd never preached, never been in it. I don't even know what they were thinking. And that would, that would be uh, 17 years ago. Good grief. 16, 17. It was a while ago. And I've done a little bit of everything. And I tell you that story because I'm not educated. I'm not against education, trust me. But I'm not traditionally educated. I don't have a high school diploma. But what I do have is an experience with God. And I've had people in my life that have challenged me, have encouraged me, have been in my grill, have said the hard, honest things... Because they see a bigger picture than just going to church and trying to behave. And none of us in here are cut out to behave. And Jesus Christ did not go to the cross, suffer God's wrath, die and raise on the third day so that we're good boys and girls and we play nice. That is not what he did. He did that so we'd be alive. And in that we have a mission to follow him and to become like him as he does the work that we can't do in our own lives. So, as we talk about being and making disciples in relationship, we're just going to hit a few things. And so, here's what I hope. I wrote some thoughts down this morning. I want you guys to be encouraged. This morning, when you hear what God's Word is going to say to you, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be compelled. Paul says in Scripture, he says, I am compelled by the love. We're compelled or controlled by the love of Christ. That's what compelled him. What got him up in the morning, he experienced the love of Christ in such a way, it compelled him. So if you don't know what love is, love, he experienced God's patience and kindness in such a way that he wanted other people to have it. So I want you to be compelled. If need be, a little conviction doesn't hurt enough that we'll at least make a change. And that's called repentance. And so... That's a little bit of my story. There's a lot of, I mean, 54 years old, I got a lot more, but that's all we get for today. I want to define disciple. So, this is one thing, you know, I got to see uh, Aaron Householder. Oh, I got to tell you this quick story. So, Aaron Householder brought his team out to Knoxville. We're having lunch on the second day. I'm sitting next to Aaron. I'm going to say this. He's driving me nuts because he's wearing that mask, I couldn't see his face. But at lunchtime, he'd take it off. I was like, "What?" okay, anyway. So, so we're talking, and he's sitting next to me. So we weren't talking. I'm just kind of in my own head. And he asked me this question. He goes, Keith, why are you not a senior pastor in a church in Nebraska? And I said, because I live in Idaho. <laughs> and and you know, Aaron's no dummy. He can play ball. And he's like, yeah, but I've been in your group for two days. He said, you know what KRVN is. You understand the weather. You love Husker football. And boy, I am already nervous about the Minnesota game. You love Husker football? He said, you are Nebraska. And he goes, and I know a church is going to need a pastor. And I'm like, huh. Well, back up. I've always said this. We live in Idaho. If I ever, if Christy and I ever leave Idaho, I want to go back to my home state, Nebraska. But I will never live in Lexington. It's just so ironic, isn't it? So he goes, It's in Lexington, Nebraska. Uh, John Shields is going to retire, blah, dee, blah, dee, blah. And I'm like, eh. So over a year period, I just kind of put it on hold. And, and the rest is history. And here we are. So it's the first time being a lead pastor. So I'm learning things by the day. I'm like, Note to self, right? <clears throat> okay. But if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Give them a call, they'll tell you. Okay. I want to define disciple. It's worth a definition. So that word gets thrown around. And if somebody walks into our church, here's my desire. If somebody goes, man, I heard Keith talking about a disciple. What is a disciple? And they would say, a disciple is one who is surrendered to following Jesus. A disciple is one who's surrendered to being changed by Jesus. And a disciple is one who's surrendered to the mission of Jesus. So whatever our definition of a disciple is, it needs to be biblical. It needs to be simple, needs to be measurable, and needs to be memorable. So a disciple is one who surrendered following Jesus. We get, our, we get our definition from Matthew 4.19, and we say it this way, the definitions in the invitation, guys, you've got to hear this, Jesus is always inviting you in. As you read through Scripture, it's always an invitation, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. So disciples went who come and surrendered to following. Come follow me. I will make you. Jesus will make you into the things into what you can't possibly do on your own. He's going to make us into His likeness, and He's we're going to be surrendered to His mission. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You're going to care what I here's the other thing I say. We say to our church. Here's our mission: to love what God loves, and to value what God values by being and making disciples of Jesus in relationship. It's not complicated, it's simple. So I'm going to tell you a quick little story on <clears throat> biblical, measurable, memorable, and simple. So when my son, Ben, um, he was 12 years old. I was in South Carolina with some Southern Baptists out there working with those guys. And Christy called me, and Ben was my wild kid. He, was, he just got out of the Marine Corps about a year ago, six years in Marine Corps infantry. He's one of those kind. And... Uh, Christy said, yeah, Ben told me he doesn't want to be a Christian anymore. I'm like, okay, I'll take care of when I get home. What do you do? So we get home. We're upstairs, just Ben and I, and he's upset about a person in our family who did some terrible things. And he's like, why would she do that? And I said, well, she's probably tired of being a Christian. I said, do you ever get tired of being a Christian? He goes, I hate being a Christian. I go, okay. I go, why? I go what do you want to be then? Guys, ask questions. Do not, if I could do some things over, don't lecture your kids to death. Ask questions. Just let them process. I go, so Ben, what do you want to be? And he goes, I want to be wild. <laughs> it's okay. What do you want to do this wild? And he goes, I want to jump off a train bridge into the river. And I said, well, we can go down on the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene River and that train bridge is about 60 feet. I'll take you there, but you got to wait until I get my truck down in case you get hurt when you hit the water and I'll, so I can pull you out. <laughs> and he's like, he goes, I want to, I want to go ding dong ditching. I go, what's that? And he goes, I see you take some dog poop and you put it in a bag and you light on fire in and knock on the door and they stomp on it. I go, I've always wanted to do that. So let's go do it. Let's find somebody. But let me park down the street so nobody sees me. I'm a pastor. I can't just be doing that, right? And he was getting frustrated with me because I'm saying yes to all his wildness. And I go, Ben, here's the deal. I don't want you to be a Christian. We've got enough of them. I said, I want you to be a disciple of Jesus. You know what a disciple is, don't you? And he goes, yeah, one who follows, one who's being changed, one who's on the mission. And I said, yeah. I said, good. He hears it all the time. I go, are you following Jesus? Here's what he said. I try, but I suck at it. And I said, but you're trying. I said, <laughs> I said, are you being changed? He goes, well, I don't know. I said, this is why we do life in relationship, because you might not know, but the people that know you see it, and I can encourage you. So I gave him like three things that I see different in his life. Then I said, are you committed to his mission? He goes, I don't know. And I said, you're super committed. All right, so he got sent home from next door a few days, a uh, week or whatever, for punching a kid out, throwing him in a mud puddle and stomping on him. I said, you're committed. I said, that kid that you punched in the face, threw in the mud puddle and stomped up, on, up and down on? I go, why'd you do that? And he said, well, he took God's name in vain. I told him not to. I said, you're committed to the mission. I said, you care about God. And I said, there's some things we can work on. So you're a disciple of Jesus. Uh, go outside and play. I'll be out there in a minute. <laughs> How many people, you don't raise your hand. These are rhetorical questions. you feel like you're following Jesus well? Do you know if you're being changed? Are you about his mission? How would you know that? That's why we do life together in relationship, in fellowship, in connection. And just that word relationship doesn't always give the best picture. Because there's adulterous relationships, there's abusive relationships, there's, there's uh, immoral relationships, there's bad relationships. So it's not just relationship, It says God defines it. So, being a disciple of Jesus. So John 3.16, as, as I say these scriptures, I want you to be thinking about connection with God. That's like koinonia, connection, fellowship with God, relationship, closeness, Affection. I don't know if you guys ever think about it. God has affection towards you. Most of you, myself included, don't even know how to respond to affection. God has grace for you. Grace is God's favor and goodwill towards you. Most of you, myself included, don't know how to respond to favor. I don't know, ever remember growing up being favored. I just got moved to the next place. So as we go through these scriptures, God's always calling us into relationship that's why we're reconciled to him our relationships restored to favor so john three sixteen, for god <clears throat> we've heard this so many times sometimes people get inoculated to god's word i use my creativity a lot and i really try to personalize things so for god so loved the world like he really loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him Right there is a two-week message. Easy. That word, love, would imply, one, one way that you could, you could use that in the other languages as though somebody were caressing their baby on the head. For God so loved the world. God has affection and goodwill. A benevolent heart. He wants you included in his life. For God so loved the world that he gave the one and only son. So you need to know that you're loved. Everything that God did through the Lord Jesus Christ was to restore us to right relationship with Him. Real quick, I'm going to do the Adam and Eve story. Some of you might not have heard it. Maybe some of you have. There's Adam, there's Eve. It's not, you remember God said it's not good that man's alone. So that we bring Eve into the picture and He tells him, this is all yours. You can, I'm paraphrasing by the way. This is all yours. You can have it. You can do this, you can do that. You got this, you got that. You're both really attractive. You got all that goes with that. I'm going to spend time with you, but just don't eat from the tree. Well, a few days, months, years, whatever, it doesn't really imply. uh, The enemy and, and the serpent comes and talks to Eve and asks her, did God really say? Now, as I tell this story, I want you to be thinking relationship. What the enemy went after was relationship. And I want you to think about a dad and somebody talking to your daughter. How you feel about that? Okay, you got to get in the moment because God is a jealous God. Dads, nobody's good enough for your daughter. So did God really say? And she goes, "Well, yeah, he did say. He said we shouldn't eat it. He said we shouldn't even touch it." So she had some rules. I don't know who else does that. Uh, we shouldn't even touch it, or we'll surely die. The enemy goes, you won't surely die. For God knows that if you do this, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And she's like, huh. And she saw that it was good, it was attractive, it looked like it'd be good. So she ate. Then she gave some to her husband who was sitting there not taking care of her. So he ate some. And what happened? They realized they were naked. Now they were good with it a minute ago. Now they're like, yikes. And what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. So they hid from each other. I want you to hear this. They hid from each other. Then they went in the bushes and hid from God. And nothing has changed since. People are hiding from each other and they're hiding from God and they live a life of hiding. So God comes looking for them in the cool of the day. Hey, Adam, where are you? Yeah, we're over here. What are you doing over there? Well, we're naked. Who told you we're naked? Well, the woman. Now we got Blaine, the woman we, you gave me. And then, uh, what is it you've done? She goes, well, the serpent. Now, we've got excuses. Anybody participate in blaming your excuses? By the way, I love your guys' story. The honesty, and what you guys did, I'm, gosh darn it, what you guys did is you modeled, none of us do this well alone. My wife and I went through financial peace. And I was so angry going through it. I'm like, why did anybody ever tell me this? Plus, I was super embarrassed. I was the first pastor out of about 85 pastors in real life to go bankrupt. Well... When I left my previous job and went into what they're paying me, I I go, I don't think we're going to make it three years. We made it two years. But there were a lot of it was my fault. And everything you said, the the hiding, the trying to figure out, it's all hiding. And there's no freedom in it. And I don't want to hide, but I'm so scared. What's what happened with Adam and Eve? And this is the plight of mankind. Hiding from each other and hiding from God. And it happens every day in every church and every place in the whole world. To this day and that is why the lord jesus came it's to set us free from that and that we would be disciples and actually live a lifestyle in such a way that we would invite other people into our lives to share with them the life we have in christ not just doing a bible study or workbook actually sharing life on life being honest transparent and vulnerable it hurts a little it's embarrassing but that's where humility comes from you know what the root word of humility is Humiliation. I'm just choke on that one for a little bit. Okay. That's where, where freedom is. Jesus says this, guys. Jesus went to the cross. He dies. I want you to hear this. He, not only does he die, not only does he bear the sin of the world, but then God exacts his wrath. God's wrath is satisfied in Christ. So Jesus bears all that. He dies, and he raises from the dead and he conquers death. He did all that so that you and I would have relationship, unhindered relationship with God. And so for three, three and a half years, he spent time with these 12 guys, his disciples. He had other disciples, but he had his 12. Jesus dies, resurrects. Now we're Matthew 28. That's like all of it. Heaven and earth, wherever all that is, has been given me. Because of that, or therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of Bethlehem to the very end of the age. And not long after that, he's gone. He's leaving 11 guys. They're going to wait for power from up on high. Don't know what that looks like. And they're still arguing amongst each other. How disciples made, come see me on Tuesday. Church. He said, go make disciples. Here's what he did not say. And here's how disciples made, come see me on Tuesday. We'll do a Bible study. No, he'd spent three and a half years with them and modeled everything he expected them to do. He did it for them. They got to see how it played out. They got to know him. They got to learn to be loved by him. They got corrected by him. They got equipped and trained and opportunities to fail and start over. He equipped his guys. He didn't leave them unequipped. He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, Jesus didn't command a whole lot when he was here. So you look through the scriptures, not a lot of commands. I'll give you two, though, for sure. Matthew 22. Pharisees talking to Jesus. They go, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest command?" And Jesus says this, he said, the first and greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And they're like, oh yeah, he's quoting uh, the Shema out of Deuteronomy chapter six. And he goes, the second is like it. And they're like, huh? Leviticus 19, 18, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. That's in Leviticus. Then he says this, I want you guys to hear this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Loving God, loving others, and hold on, guys, and loving yourself. Yeah, it's good news, huh? To love what God loves and to value what God values. That happens to be you. And for you and I to learn to love what God made and worship Him with it. And I could talk on that for the next four hours, but we're not going to. So these commands, here's the commands He gives to His disciples. Love God, love others, love yourself. And here's another command he gives. John 13, 34 and 35. Guys, as I have loved you, Jesus is saying this to his boys, his disciples, as I have loved you, so think back, experience what it's been like with me. As I have loved you, so love one another. I want you guys to love each other like I love you. By this, by doing this, the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. If all we did, you guys, get rid of all our programs, just, just hang with me we get rid. Of, and all we do is practice loving each other. And that's it. We don't even have to we don't even have to share the gospel. We don't have to talk. We're just going to take care of each other. And if we want to know what love is, here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. John 13. Christy, my wife taught me this. She goes, "Isn't it interesting that God gives us the definition of love? Love what it is, what it isn't, what it does and what it doesn't do." Love is patient and kind. You know how I know if somebody's patient and kind with me? They listen to me. A good, loving person listens well. And because they listen, they listen to understand. This is what Jesus did. They can ask great questions. And they can bear with people. So love is patient kind. It's not rude. If I don't listen very well, I am super rude. Because I've already concluded in my mind who and what you are. And I'll let you know about it. With absolute impunity and no information. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. That's what love isn't, easily angered. Oh, here's a fun one. It doesn't remember wrongs or it's not resentful. doesn't remember wrongs. It's not resentful. doesn't delight in evil. Always rejoices in the truth. I love this. Always perseveres. Always bears all things. And I tell our church this all the time, you know why I love bears all things? Because every one of you in here are unbearable. <laughs> and you know it. And whoever lives with you or is close to you, they know it too. But we bear with one another because love hopes all things. Love has vision, can see past the unbearable things. Love never fails, it's always faithful. Simplify. The Marines in here get it. Always faithful, it never gives up. And so when Jesus says, As I have loved you, so love one another, we're drawing from the scriptures. And all of this takes practice. Nobody learns to love well. You have to engage. It's an active decision to bear with somebody, to be patient and kind. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. What comes after gentleness? Faithfulness and then self-control. And is there another one? I think that's it. I always get lost on that backside. That's all the very character of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So when we talk about surrender to being changed by Jesus, this is what Jesus builds up in us. So I'm going to encourage you with this. So how in the world do we even start? Well, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. If I'm not very loving to my wife, I don't even know where to start. Well, I can look at Scripture and say, well, the fruit of the Spirit is, one of them is gentleness. I can start with that. And I can practice gentleness. And I get with a group of guys and go, guys, I don't know how to be gentle with my wife or kids. Any guys know what I'm talking about? Uh Uh-huh. So where do I start? I actually do that and I... Begin to let people into my life to help me with the things that I can't or don't know how to or even want to do. The practice field starts at home. If you're married and have kids, it starts home. If you're not married and don't have kids, you got neighbors or you got coworkers or you got family. And all of them are unbearable. So you get to practice that one. The only time I need patience is when I can't take it anymore. So you'll, I, I promise you, be, what time is it? <laughs> 10. 10, 34, by uh, 12, 34, you will have opportunity to practice patience. <laughs> I, 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 I promise. And God, Scripture tells us in Second Peter that God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if I don't know what to do, then I ask. And it takes humility to ask. This. Anybody here like asking for Help. I'm getting better at it. Because I'm like, you know, if I don't ask for help, I'm just a train wreck for everybody around me. Guess what it says in 1 Peter 5? God opposes the proud. So if you're proud, you're sitting there thinking you can figure out. You're playing those games. I've done them, so I know t- I get to talk about this stuff. You're being prideful. God opposes you. You're in opposition to God if you're proud. If you're unrepentant. If you're going to play games and come to church and smile but still have hatred in your heart towards yourself and others. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace. He gives goodwill. He gives charity. He gives favor to the humble. The ones like, I don't know where to even start. Here's how I pray sometimes. Lord, I don't even know how to want to change. I don't even want to change. I actually prefer this. I don't know how to be different than this. I need you to help me with this. And then I tell, I got a group of guys around me that know, they know me. They know the questions to ask. They know how to encourage and how to challenge me. Because there's a big part of me that doesn't want to change. I just like doing what I like to do. And I can't do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. And that is the beginning of being a disciple. Having all the right answers. I don't even have the right answers. I've read the Bible a couple times. But I can listen well and go, man, that sounds really hard. Thanks for letting me know about that. Can I pray with you? Lord, we have mercy on us and help us figure out what to do. Thanks for taking care of us. That didn't even take a GED. That was funny. <laughs> it was to me anyway. I say that I'm going to finish now. I say this at our at our church every Sunday. John 13, Jesus said, "As I have loved you, so love one another." By this, the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. If you, as this church, and I, I already love this church, I'm sitting here, I'm going, Lord, how did I end up here? Aaron Householder, Scott, Sarah, Dave, I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense. And here we are in a Southern Baptist church in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'm in a Southern Baptist church in Lexington, Nebraska. And I'm not even Southern Baptist. Now, put, figure that one out. But I love the Southern Baptist church. So... If all we do is love one another, who wouldn't want to be part of a group of people that take care of each other, protect each other, fight well, recover fast, forgive, and protect each other? You would have to build six or seven different churches because they wouldn't really care what you believe. They just know that in this church, they're going to be taken care of. They're going to be included. They're not going to be talked about. They're going to be protected if we love each other like Jesus loves us. Father, I love you. Somebody prayed earlier, I only love you because you first loved me. My capacity to be loved and loved is dependent on you. Everything we have is dependent on you. So will you have mercy on us? Thank you for your love and your kindness. And as we sing, will you receive this as a blessing? That we be a blessing to you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.